Today in Business from Wired. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is the Spoken Edition of Wired. Facebook can ban whomever it wants. Just ask Trump's lawyers by Izzy Lepowski. Over the course of a weekend in which North Korea tested a new short-range missile, Iran allegedly prepared to attack U.S. forces, and the Pentagon confirmed China may be holding as many as 3 million Muslims in concentration camps. The one region of the world that received the most direct and damning criticism from the President of the United States was, uh, Silicon Valley. In a series of tweets beginning Friday evening and extending throughout the day on Saturday, President Trump condemned Facebook for banning a slew of far-right figures, including the conspiracy theorist Alex Jones and the anti-Islam commentator Paul Joseph Watson, as well as Twitter for locking the account of actor James Woods. President Trump said he was monitoring the situation and even helped raise Watson's profile by retweeting a link to his YouTube video about being censored, a video that has now been viewed more than half a million times. This is the United States of America, and we have what's known as freedom of speech, President Trump wrote about the bans. He went on to retweet a number of accounts making much the same argument. Twitter's armchair legal experts replied to the president's rant by pointing out that the First Amendment only prohibits the government from suppressing speech, not private companies like Facebook and Twitter. Of course, if anyone knows that, it should be President Trump. It is, after all, the very argument that his own lawyers at the Department of Justice have been making on his behalf in court. In July of 2017, the Knight First Amendment Institute and several Twitter users who had been blocked by President Trump filed a lawsuit against the president and several members of his staff. They argued that at real Donald Trump is a designated public forum and that by blocking them, the president was prohibiting them from replying to him, thereby violating their First Amendment rights. Last year, a district court sided with the plaintiffs, finding that the president does use his Twitter account to carry out government business, like announcing the departure of Secretary of State Rex Tillerson or introducing a ban on transgender troops in the military. Consequently, 
the court ordered President Trump to unblock his critics. But the Department of Justice has since appealed that decision, laying out the very defense that would seem to justify Facebook and Twitter's actions. The constitutional right of a private individual to express his or her views in the public forum comes into play only when the property in question is owned or controlled by the government and the individual's exclusion from that property is the product of state action, the department wrote in its appeal brief. Just over a month ago, DOJ lawyers doubled down on this logic in their oral arguments, stating that the president has blocked people in a private capacity, not in his official capacity as president, and is therefore well within his rights to do so. If there's no state action, there can't be a First Amendment violation, the DOJ's lawyer Jennifer Utrecht said. The Constitution does not prohibit private parties from engaging in conduct that inhibits expressive conduct. The complicating factor for the president in this case is that, well, he is the president. Not only that, but he uses his account to conduct government business. Because the government is the only body that can violate the First Amendment, that puts Trump's Twitter habits on tricky legal footing, says Danielle Citron, professor of law at the University of Maryland and author of the book Hate Crimes in Cyberspace. He's the president. Whenever the government creates zones of public discourse, they have very special obligations under the First Amendment, Citron says. The Department of Justice has tried to jump through rhetorical hoops to argue that despite all that, the president is blocking people as a private citizen and therefore can't infringe on their First Amendment rights. Donald Trump has had the ability to block anyone from his at-real-Donald-Trump account since long before his presidency, Utrecht argued. This is not an authority he is wielding by virtue of his office. Compare that to the position that Facebook and Twitter find themselves in. They wield tremendous power, to be sure, but that doesn't make them the government. Not only that, but the law that governs tech platforms also explicitly instructs them to make a good-faith effort to restrict content they consider obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable. If the Trump administration believes that the president's own Twitter account can't infringe on people's free speech rights, then it seems dubious at best to claim that a privately owned company with no ties to the government can, Citron says. The notion that the president is free to block whoever he wants on Twitter because he's a private actor, and then he turns around and criticizes Twitter for kicking people off their platform, is incoherent, she says. Of course, President Trump wasn't making a legal case in his weekend tweets. He was merely ramping up the public pressure on an industry that has proven time and again that such pressure works. It was, after all, the fear of being charged with censoring conservatives that led Facebook to fire all the human beings who decided which news stories made it into its trending topics section. It's the fear of accidentally suspending conservative politicians that has kept Twitter from automatically banning white supremacists from the platform, the same way they ban ISIS operatives. It's that fear, combined with some idealistic and misguided faith in human nature, that compelled social media companies to take such a hands-off approach to content moderation to begin with, allowing hate and conspiracy theories to fester and metastasize there for more than a decade. Tech companies have made repeated, sometimes catastrophic decisions for fear of stoking a conservative backlash. Time will tell if this case is any different. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. 
Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.